My title today is The Spirit of Truth is Coming. And we're looking for the last couple of verses in John 15 and then moving into John chapter 16. So my goal today is to learn how Jesus wants us to receive the spirit of truth and to put this into practice, to learn how he wants us to receive the spirit of truth and to put it into practice. And my plan is, first of all, we're going to look at a bird's eye view of the passage. And then we're going to look at the flow of Jesus teaching. And then we're going to end by talking about how do we receive this spirit of truth. Quick overview. John's gospel can be split into two halves. Parts called the book of signs, Jesus public ministry, chapters one through twelve. And then 13 through 21, what's called the Book of Glory, which is Jesus' final time with his disciples and his death and resurrection. And we're in the Book of Glory, which begins in chapter 13, ends in 21. And the first half of it is new teaching from Jesus. And we're just coming towards the end of that new teaching from Jesus as he moved towards teaching about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to give you a quick summary of the last last five weeks now. So you can see where we've been. Um, we, we, uh, five weeks ago, we talked about Jesus who will wash your feet and love you to the end. And here's this, uh, phrase that begins this whole last section of Jesus. He's the one who loved them and he will love them to the end. And we talked about how precious that is, that here's a God who will love you so, so, uh, unstoppably. Nothing can stop his love for you. He will never abandon you. And Jesus, as he is about to die, he says to his disciples, this is the kind of love I have for you. And then we saw the care and empathy and unselfishness of Jesus as he was thinking of them as he was about to die. And then he said, actually, this what I'm doing now is revealing the love of the Father to you. The father is unselfish. The father puts others before himself. And because Jesus is a perfect revelation of the character of the father, quite extraordinary. And then there's an invitation to step into this love that Jesus and the father share and to say you're invited into this incredible intimacy between the father and Jesus. But you can only live this new life if you're connected with a vine. And we have an image of Jesus being the vine and we're the branches. And we have to take the, the strength from him by being joined to him. But what does it mean to be connected? How are we connected? So last week I talked about how when we step out in obedience to the promptings of Jesus, which nurtures this new life and lets it grow, that brings a connection. You can think of this new life that we have as being a little plant and we need to give it sunlight. It's like a baby that needs feeding. And this this new life that's within us grows as we step into obedience. This last week, I read something which is a superb example of what this means and I thought I must read it out to you today because for me, it crystallized everything I was saying last week. In fact, 
If I don't give my sermon this week, you only hear this story. You probably had the benefit because this is such a good story. So uh, this is the story from the book um, no, The Hiding Place by Corrie ten Boom, which is the story of uh, the Dutch resistance in the Second World War and how a group of Christians were providing a hiding place for Jews. And they were providing a place for them to be safe from being being uh, taken to extermination camps. And they were effectively laying down their lives in this situation. And um, in the story, uh, Curry and her family get get taken by the Germans. And a lot of the story, a lot of the book is about her time in concentration camp. And she, um, she, I won't tell you the, the details, but it's a horrific experience. But it, she feels, and her, through her and her sister talking, that God is saying to them that when they finish, when they've come out, when the war is over, they actually need to provide a way that God's love could reach these Germans who are so horrifically brutal to them. And so they, they make these plans. And when the war is over, Corrie begins a ministry to these people. And we take up this story where she is, um, she is, uh, traveling and, and speaking about God's love. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. That was the, the concentration camp that she was at. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, Betsy's pain-blanched face. That's her sister. How he came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, he said, to think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine. And I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendal the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Jesus, I prayed, forgive me. Help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent chair silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give your forgiveness. <clears throat> and then she, she actually took the step of obedience by reaching her hand out. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that this world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself.
that I just found that so moving and so perfectly explaining what this passage was saying from the last few weeks when Jesus says, um, this is how we know love that we love to, um, we love to lay down our life for our friends. And this is what I'm calling you to do. And of course, also our enemies, as in this example here. And it's impossible without his strength. And so we ended up talking about the chicken and the egg situation. I'm joined to Jesus because of my obedience, but I can't obey unless his power flows to me, through to me. How do we break this? We break this by taking a simple step. Knowing we don't have power, we just take that step anyway, and Jesus' power flows into us, which is what she did. And she had this experience of Jesus' forgiveness coming into her, a perfect example of being connected with the vine and the the energy from the vine, the energy of God flowing into her. So that's the example that I wanted to give you. So um, I want now to have a bird's eye view of this passage and just to uh, show you um, the big picture of the passage and then we're going to focus on the details a little later. So let's have a bird's eye view. And we're just going to look at particularly the colours here. And the colours, uh, I'm just going to scan through here. I just want you to pick up on one or two things here. I'm going to make this slightly smaller so we can see more of this at a time. Because I want you to get like a, a view of it. What I've done is I've coloured green references to the Holy Spirit. I don't know if those are coming through, but... Um, references at the beginning and then the second half is full of references to the Holy Spirit right the way through. So a lot of references. The second thing I want you to see is that um, there's some things I've highlighted in orange here, which are basically these things I have told you, but these things I have told you. And again and again, we have this expression, these things I have told you. And then at the end, it switches from these things I have told you to he will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. And so we get a chorus of these things have I told you, switching to the spirit telling. And uh, finally, there's um, there's uh, some places that I've marked in turquoise there, the fill up the middle, which is about going away. I'm going away. Um, you're going away. Yes, if I go, this will happen. And those are the, like the colors of the passage, the spirit, the, the, the speaking the truth and the revealing things and that Jesus is going away. But I'm not going to spend any more time on that because I've got, um, a kind of a more condensed bird's eye view that I want to show you. And this is how I want to, to I want you to see it as going. It falls into six parts. And the first part is how the spirit fits in. In He comes from the father. He will be, Jesus says, my supporting witness. And so will you. So this is how the spirit fits in. Then he says, I'm telling you the hard stuff in advance. So you won't think the plan has gone wrong. Then he says, I'm telling you now because I won't be with you, which has made you focused on your own sorrow. And then we have a switch in the whole passage. 
from the negative to the positive. Be encouraged. This actually is great news because the Spirit's words, the one who's coming, have huge power. Be encouraged. He will tell you the things I've not been able to tell you. And then we end up with how the Spirit fits in again. He's actually going to serve me as I serve the Father. So that's just a quick bird's eye view, and I'm not expecting you to um, to to really comprehend that at this point, because I want to go through this in quite a bit more detail. And so let's um, let's look here. Here's our titles again, and I'm going to expand each one of those up, and you'll see the verses within it. So first of all, how the Spirit fits in. So the verses here, let's just read them. When the companion comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will bear witness concerning me, and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Just one second. Did you press record? Okay. Uh, uh, he, he, because you will, you have been with me from the beginning. And so what he's saying here, is there's a third person I'm adding into the Trinity here. Jesus has talked before a little bit about the Spirit, but here it's much more formal. He's explaining how he fits in. And this was a very important text for the early church. Um, this was very important for the definition of the Trinity. Now, they did get a little confused by one thing. Um, the, it talks about verse 26, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father... And they kind of got the idea of um, somehow the Spirit flowing from the Father, but actually it's not complicated like that. The Father's sending him. The going out is like a, a mission, being sent on a mission. But what's important about this is that there are three people who are all working together on the same mission, so connected, so involved, and they are. there's a unity. These people could never be at cross-purposes. And we'll see later how the last verses in this passage, Jesus expands on this just a little bit more. But the, the, it's not that the Spirit is something different, something else. They are connected together in a very close way. And so that's the first part. And then we have... Jesus saying, I'm telling you the hard stuff in advance so that you won't think the plan has gone wrong. These things have I told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, a time is coming when the one who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And these things they will do because they have not known the Father or me. But these things I've told you so that when their time comes, you will remember that I told you about them. Uh, of course, this all did happen in the book of Acts. It's full of it. And they did remember Jesus' words and they were not afraid because Jesus' words did comfort them at that time. So everything Jesus says here came true. It's interesting, um, this statement here, a time is coming when one who kills you will think he's offering a service to God. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul was. He thought he was serving God. And 
This verse is actually offering compassion to such people because they actually think they're doing the right thing. Paul says he didn't, he did it not knowing what he was doing. And you can think of Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then Stephen, when he was being killed, prayed the same prayer. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so Jesus is, is giving them some, some, um, warning, but a warning that, that will help them so that when it comes, they won't worry that somehow something has gone terribly wrong. So notice then that there are, there are three points he has here. They'll put you out of synagogues. They'll kill you. And they haven't known the father or me. So let's collapse that up again. Uh, then he says, I'm telling you now because I won't be with you, which has made you focused on your own sorrow. I did not tell you these things from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to the one who sent me. Not one of you is asking where are you going, but because these things I have said to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Now, I want to say I don't think this is a reprimand that Jesus is saying. He's acknowledging the sorrow that's there. <clears throat> now, some people have said, well, this bit about no, none of you have asked where, where are you going? But they did, like Peter did earlier on. Well, I think the best answer to this is um, <clears throat> Peter really wasn't asking that. Um, just imagine a story. Imagine that um, <clears throat> I promised my grandson that we were going to play Lego for the morning. And he got it all out. He got it ready. And we were just about to do it. <clears throat> when a call came, I had to make a visit. I had to. It was very, very important. I had to leave. And he could look at me and say, where are you going? Where are you going? And he's not actually interested in where I'm going. He's interested in what, why I'm not going to be there. And so when you look at the, 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 the couple of times the disciples asked where Jesus is going, they're not actually asking where he's going. They're not actually interested in that question. It's more of like, what, what's happening? Why are you leaving us kind of thing? And so, but he's not judging them on this. He's saying, look, your hearts are filled with sorrow because you're going to leave me. And he's acknowledging that. And uh, I think this is really important because Jesus acknowledges our pain. He doesn't minimize it. He says, you're in, in, you're struggling now. He sees our struggles. He sees our hardship. He sees what we're going through. You can remember back in the time of the death of Lazarus, when Jesus saw Mary and then Martha and he wept because he saw them in their pain. And here Jesus, even though he's about to die a death that saves the world, he sees them in their pain and he feels for them and he wants to comfort them at this time. Uh, he doesn't, he doesn't tell them they're wrong to feel this, like it's called, it's invalid, but he does give them hope. And, uh, this is the, the, uh, this is what happens now. He says, be encouraged. This is great news. And now we have the discourse turns from the negative to the positive. But I speak the truth to you. It is your advantage that I am going away. For I do, if I do not go away, the companion will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Now it's not saying that somehow Jesus and the Spirit couldn't coexist on the same planet. What it's saying is that this was a new age that was coming, the age of the Spirit. And this age couldn't be inaugurated until Jesus was raised from the dead. 
and this age is coming. He says, so be excited. This is going to be good for you that I'm going. It's going to be positive. Then he says, when he comes, he will expose the wrong of the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And then he expands those three words concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I'm going to the Father and you see me no longer. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. So verse nine concerning sin, um, Jesus was the one who was exposing their sin, but they didn't believe him. But the spirit now will do that work. Um, and similarly, the spirit will show them true righteousness, even though Jesus is gone and convict them of judgment. Now, I think the best way of explaining this verse is actually to show you an example from Acts 24, which perfectly fits this almost word for word. Paul is a prisoner and he is summoned before the governor Felix. And in verse 24, we read some days later, when Felix arrived with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. So here is a Roman governor who doesn't know anything about Jesus. He's curious. And this man who's condemned possibly to death comes and he speaks to him. What power has Paul got in this situation? Like, what can Paul possibly do? Like, he's, he's as, is, he's as good as being a, 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 you know, on death row. And here's this Roman governor. And what do we read? While Paul was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, Felix became frightened. And some translations say Felix trembled and said, go away for now. And when I have an opportunity, I will send for you. So the power of the spirit actually convicted Felix that um, we, we, we know a little bit from secular history about Felix, that he was um, he had a very, very fast ride to power and he got to power and he was somewhat brutal in his um, treatment. And uh, he was... Um, it, it said that um, he um, he was brutal and ruthless in the way he treated people. And so you can imagine Paul, through the spirit, was raising some of these problems. This would have been perhaps the self-control. And, um, and as he spoke to this emperor, this emperor was scared. And so what Jesus is doing here in this passage is reversing the powerlessness of the previous section. Let's just, let's just see how this beautifully fits in. So this D be encouraged matches this one here. Uh, three things. They'll put you out of the synagogue. The one who kills you will think he's offering service to God. And these things they'll do because they've not known the father. Three things. And, but don't think you're powerless. Actually, because of the spirit, you actually will be the ones who have the power. So this answers this hard stuff that's going to happen. It answers this threat that they have, this, this fear that's coming up by this incredible promise of power that as you witness, the power of God will be in you that can shake 
rulers of this world because he is in you. And so this is the um, this is the promise then that's given to them. And this is a promise that was fulfilled. Uh, we don't know what happened with Felix, but we do know later on um, when Paul was shipwrecked on the island, he went to speak to the governor. The governor was saved. We know many other places where Paul witnessed with tremendous power. Large numbers were saved because the spirit was in him. He didn't have to do it in his own strength, but the spirit work through him. And this is the same spirit that's working through you and me. And I want to encourage you right now that when you have the opportunity to speak to people who are not Christians, you're not doing it your own strength. You're not limited to your own weak little arguments. You have the power of the spirit within you. And Jesus says, I'm giving you this. I, I, I was speaking on this earth. When I was here, I was preaching. Um, but now you have the spirit and it's not your own strength. And you might say something and you think, well, what is that? That wasn't particularly profound. Look at the effect that it has. And so I want to encourage you to witness because the spirit is in you is witnessing. And this is one of the key points that Jesus is making in this passage. So let's look on then to the next the next verse. Um, he then says, be encouraged. He will tell you all the things that I have not been able to tell you. And let's read the words. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when this one shall come, the spirit of truth, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. So this is this is extremely encouraging. Uh, this is the climax of the work of the Spirit here prophesied in the Gospel of John. Up to now, it's been um, Jesus who's been the same things to us. So verse 12 says, I have many more things to say to you, but I'm not going to be here. So actually, I'm passing the baton on to the spirit to say these things. He's going to take that role. And I'm going to talk more in just a minute about how this works. But first of all, I want to look at the last verse, which matches the first in the passage, how the spirit fits in. He will glorify me because he will receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. Everything that the father has is mine. That is why I said he will receive it from me. What receive from me what is mine and will tell it to you. So very similar idea to what we get at the top about him taking from coming from the father, going from the father and bearing witness concerning me. It's it, this is a this is here linking together father, son and spirit all in one. Um, so what, why is this important? It's important because the we have three people here in the Trinity who have different roles, but we believe they have the same status as being God. 
Now, the best example I've heard of this, and all examples are limited, but I've given, I've told you this one before and I'm going to tell you it again because I think it's a good example. So it's a story of somebody who is drowning out in a bay and they're drowning in the sea. There's no one else. And at this time, three partners in a, in a company are walking along the top of the cliff. And as these partners see the person drowning out to sea, they come up with a plan. One of them scrambles down the cliff, takes off his, his, his jacket, dives into the water to, to rescue the person. That's the Jesus figure. One of them, one of them, um, uh, one of the pe- uh, people goes off to get help and uh, disappears from from the view, but he's working in the background, and that is the spirit. The third one uh, is standing on the cliff top, giving directions and telling the others what to do, uh, and that's the father. Now, if somebody was to come and look at that scene, they would assume that. The partner on the cliffs was the senior partner and the other two were subordinates. But actually, they've taken that role on for the purpose of saving the one who is drowning in the water. And it's actually not a reflection of who they are. And although the scripture is, doesn't give us specific, precise information on this, I think that this would be a, a very... A, a, would be something that we could take from the scriptures as a whole, that this is how the Trinity relates. That what we're seeing in this verse here is explaining how they function, what they call the functional Trinity in salvation, but not the essence of who they are in their beings, because they are all God and all participate together in equality. So, um, I say that because there's so much misunderstanding around and it's really nearly important to understand the God that is so important to us. So uh, that is the how the passage then fits together. This is the flow of the passage. And uh, I'm sure you can see how crucial it is that we really understand what is being talked about here. Because if Jesus says, I've got many more things to say to you, and I'm going, and I'm giving the Spirit this job, we must make sure that we actually hear that. And so let's talk about then how we are going to understand this. Uh, so I just talked about the spirit in the Trinity doesn't bring glory to himself, but to Jesus, just as Jesus brings glory to the Father. The Father gives to Jesus and then Jesus gives to the spirit who gives to us. So that's the pattern in the way that they do things. Our experience, I want to say, of Jesus today is entirely through the spirit. So we read about him in the scriptures. The scriptures are the spirit's word. We, we pray to him through the spirit. We, we experience his presence and his comfort through the spirit. The spirit is the channel of us receiving Jesus during this time. Uh, so what, what, how do we actually go about receiving the spirit? Um, sometimes he's actually called the spirit of Jesus because his work is so closely involved with that of Jesus. So to go back to our plan for the day, first of all, we looked at a bird's eye view of the passage. Then we went through the flow of Jesus teaching bit by bit. And then we ended by 
or we're going to end rather now by talking about how do we receive this spirit of truth. And so I'd like to then focus on this very important um, topic in the last few minutes as we just close now. Um, So how does he speak the truth of Jesus to us? And I'm going to suggest three ways. And the first of them is that he gave the disciples the words of the New Testament. You know, they they were able to write, including John in John's Gospel, perfectly recall what Jesus said and write out the, the New Testament. And then, of course, Paul and John and others that came, the Peter that wrote the different letters, James. These are all from the work of the Holy Spirit. There are too many places for me to list where we're told that the Bible, in fact, the whole Bible, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's why it annoys me when people contrast them and talk about word and spirit as if they're somehow separate, because the the, the word and the spirit are so intimately connected. The Bible is his word. It's the spirit word. It's his work. And I was I want to say then, um, he loves it. The spirit loves the word. And he and uh, so the spirit loves the word. And if you want more of the spirit, then the first step is to bathe yourself in his word. If you want more of the spirit, the first step is to bathe yourself in his word because it's him speaking. So listen to him. Listen to his word. Bathe yourself in that. And that is the first step that we have. And that is so important. And um, I, I want to say that as I've been going through this series in John, it's been an incredible encounter for me. Not that I don't read the Bible anyway, but to spend so much time in so much depth just for, uh, seeing Jesus through the words that the Spirit has given to John um, has been such an experience for me. And um, I just feel that I've encountered Jesus in a new way. And I know, I know more, I know other sides to Jesus, and I know him in a more intimate way than I did before that. And just spending time reading and reading and reading and marking and thinking and marking and, and just going through and, and, but more than that, I, I, I ask him to show me what is there. And, uh, as I do that, I get more and more revelation comes to me. And so that's the first thing. Um, so let's, let's, the second thing, it says he also, he tells us what is to come. If we look at the back of those verses here. Um, here we are. Verse 13, he will not speak on his own authority, but will speak whatever he hears and will tell you what is to come. Now, some would try and limit that to the book of Revelation. I don't think that that is the case. I think it's important to understand this. So uh, earlier I told the story of Corrie ten Boom and how she was in a concentration camp, how she had these extraordinary challenges. And there's some times in her life where she had very clear visions. One of them was before they were really starting the work with the Jews, she had a vision of the whole family being taken away prisoner from their town, a very clear vision. 
And she didn't know what it was about until it happened. And then she understood this is what it was about. Later on, when she was in concentration camp and her and her sister felt God gave them um, the, the idea of having a place of refuge where people who were damaged by the war could come and get healing. She had a, a, a vision of what this was going to be like in some detail, uh, like in terms of what the room looked like, the main room, what the house looked like some detail later on she met a lady and this lady had a large house and she started she said that it's not like this is it is it like this and you have this and the lady was shocked she said how do you know how do you know what my house is like um have you been there and um curry said no i haven't oh the lady said you must know someone else who's been there then and curry said yes that's that's right and so um so what was going on there well the Spirit wasn't revealing new truth about Jesus Christ. The Spirit wasn't revealing new doctrine, but the Spirit was giving a powerful impression that would help her in her life in the future. And there are, str- there are times when um, the Spirit gives us strong impressions that are not at the level of Scripture, but are genuinely the Spirit revealing the future and leading us into what we should be doing and so i believe that this is what is being said here now i want to say um again because there's been lots of of uh, problems in this area that people get afraid of false prophecy so for example the book of mormon was claimed to be you know the spirit of god revealing this this um uh new teaching to the leader of the Mormon church and this he wrote it down it was supposed to be new revelation and I want to say quite categorically that is that is wrong that is not what is being said and um, uh, people uh, people get afraid of this false prophecy which prevents them recognizing the fact that God still speaks today which is very important and we should hang on so so would you agree that Jesus is still with us today would you agree that he's still with us today um is he only with us through the written word through the written bible no he's not he is with us today through his spirit and this is a very important point And so my third point here, um, he speaks it into our hearts as well as into our minds. And uh, this is my last point today. And I really want to say how important this is, that truth can be held intellectually in a way that we assent to it. It all makes sense. We logically agree with it. Or truth can come into us in a way that grasps us powerfully and changes our behavior. I couldn't preach the sermon today. I couldn't preach this without the Spirit. I couldn't. I spent a long time studying what the passage meant. I read the Greek. I wrestled with it. I read commentaries. But it's not until I say, Holy Spirit, your job is to reveal Jesus to me. Please do it in this passage. Because look here, this is what your role is. So please do it. And as I do that, then lights go on that were not on before. An understanding comes into me that wasn't there before because the role of the Spirit is to make Jesus' words come alive to us, not just understand them intellectually, which is important, and he does that. I mean, um, you know, there's there's many people who are not Christians who don't really even understand intellectually because they don't have the Spirit. But 
So that is imp- the spirit's role is for every step of the process. But I would say that it is so important if you want to put this into practice, that you engage with the Holy Spirit as you are reading the word that he has given to us, the words of Jesus that he's received from Jesus to give to us. You engage with him and you say, Holy Spirit, what is this saying to my life right now? What part of this should I be taking right now? Um, how does this mean to me? So uh, I want to say then, uh, Jesus is still with us today. And the Spirit gives us his comfort and his presence with us. Uh, the, the last part then I have is that... Um, uh, I want us to ask him to speak the words of Jesus into our hearts right now. And I want to urge you to make this your prayer now as we're coming to the end. We're going to pray now and we're going to ask this. And I want to just go back and see what has been written here. And particularly the encouraging words about what the Spirit does in our lives and how he is such a power in being witnesses for Jesus. And what I'd like to suggest that you do is that after we finish today, you read some of John. And you read those words and you do this exercise of saying, Holy Spirit, please would you take what is Jesus and give it to me. And speak it into my heart so that it changes my life. And as you take the step of it changing your life, then his power will come into you as with Corrie Ten Boom. Well, let's just pray, shall we? Thank you, Jesus, that you see our needs so deeply. And you saw the fear and the sorrow of the disciples and you spoke words of comfort into them, which are words of comfort to us, that you've not left us orphans, but you've given us this companion. And Lord, we pray that we will live with this companion, that he will be present in our lives, and particularly that we will do what Corrie Ten Boom did in that story we read, is that we will put your words into practice through the power of your spirit, that we will ask him how we should behave like Jesus in situations and step out in obedience, trusting that we cannot do it ourselves, but only through your power can we do it, through the spirit that you have given to us. Lord, we pray, change our lives this week. And as we read your scriptures together, speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're going to very quickly, I'm going to set up a Zoom room and it's a bring your own coffee and snacks, but we're going to um, set up a Zoom room and hopefully you can join us and we can have a time saying hi to one another. But I'm going to be ending this stream right now.